yeah, everyone. Episode 141 is about to start. And today, because I am recording this ahead of time, because I am going to Denver, Colorado for a wedding, I do not have an updated list of my new top three cities, but what I'm going to do is um, tell you the top three cities that have been listening to my show in the last 30 days, as they are different and they're probably the regulars of the show that listen day in, day out. So number one in the last 30 days is Chicago, Illinois. Shout out to everyone Chicago. Maybe I should eventually go to one of these cities and maybe do a meetup or something. I don't know. Um, number two is Ambler, Pennsylvania. Shout out to everyone out there. And number three is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Shout out to everyone there. And for my international one, the number 11 most uh, listened city in the last 30 days is London, England. Shout out to everyone out there. Uh, beautiful city. I got to visit it for the very long time of 17 hours in a layover, and I just loved it. It was great. Got to find a pub on a, I think it was like a Thursday night downtown, just walking through, super hungry, and somehow got a table to eat with my wife, but definitely an amazing city. So thank you for everyone across the water in London listening to my show. Now, today, what I want to go over is the deadlift, because um, recently I had a bunch of people reach out to me um, asking about, you know, my comment about, you know, if you can't touch your toes, you shouldn't be deadlifting. And I wanted to touch on this topic a little further because there's a lot in play here when I made that comment. So... I teach the deadlift to every single client and I alter the deadlift based on what they can and can't do. So, you know, an example would be someone brand new that I, you know, it's their second session, they will be deadlifting in some shape or form. You know, that can be learning how to hinge using a dowel or they could be at a point where I want them deadlifting a kettlebell off a lifted platform. Or, you know, down the road, they progress and they're finally barbell deadlifting off the floor. But in order to do, you know, the holy grail of deadlifting with the barbell off the floor, you need some prerequisites, um, you know, to be able to do it. This question is a very loaded question because everyone's individual. Everyone has different structures, different length of levers, and you know who knows if they've had an injury. And without me actually seeing you in person and doing some sort of assessment, or even with my online clients doing an an assessment to see how you move, there, there's a really it's really difficult to give you a black and white answer of, you know, if you do X, you'll be able to deadlift off the floor in three months but I can give you some typical scenarios that I see with individuals that I can eventually get 
you know, them to deadlifting off the floor. So I have one client in particular that I have in my head that I'm thinking about where I trained her for three years straight. And in that last year was when she finally was able to, um, you know, barbell deadlift um, pretty well. And when I first started with her, um, just like every good coach should be doing is an assessment. So my assessment has evolved over the years. And, you know, with her, when I got her to do the toe touch test, meaning feet together, knees locked out, I want to see you touch your toes, her hands couldn't clear her kneecaps. So there's already an issue. Um, no previous injuries, uh, just knee pain when she would walk, uh, when she would run. And, you know, we had to modify certain single leg exercises, but, um, you know, we put on some corrective exercise um, selection that I thought would help her improve. Now, before getting so technical into this topic, the idea of, you know, train like rehab equals training, training equals rehab. If you create a you know, well-written program for an individual or the fitness enthusiast listening, if you have a good program that's designed for you specifically and not something you pulled off the internet, all those little aches and pains and weird stuff that your body does or limitations will go away to a certain degree if you follow a certain program designed for you. If you find a program online and you're like, okay, sweet, there's deadlifts, there's heavy back squats and pull-ups, you know, yeah, you'll build some strength, but the quality of your movement's not going to improve if you don't have specifics. So based on my assessment on my client, I'm like, okay, she can't touch her toes, her squat is horrible, her active straight leg raise is barely a one, and she has knee pain. So we're building a foundation. Things like bird dogs, dead bugs, chops and lifts that Grey Cook made um, really famous, and the Turkish getup, and single leg deadlifts, learning how to hinge, and squat patterning were a huge, huge staple in her program. And we hammered out those movements week after week, months after months, and to see if it worked, at that three month mark, I wanted to see if she improved. So we did a simple um, you know, retest of my assessment, and you know, lo and behold, her toe touch improved a little bit, her squat improved a little bit, and her knee pain was kind of like, you know, one week she would have it, the next week she uh, didn't have it, and it was kind of all over the place. And I'm like, okay, we're on the right track. And, you know, giving her more exercises that focused on, um, you know, her tight areas. Um, I can't get into all the specifics because if you go on to the functional movement um, website, they have a huge library of, you know, corrective exercises. Now, the other thing I, you know, layered on top of it is um, getting her to see a physical therapist and a chiropractor to, you know, speed up the process. And, you know, with all this combined for a long period of time, she was able to get new ranges of motion. And the other thing you need to 
know is the difference between active range of motion and passive range of motion. So an example is if I have you laying down and I'm going to stretch out your hamstring, you know, I can take a, uh, my hand and lift your leg to a certain part. Now if we put um, your leg down and I asked you to go lift your leg by yourself to get to the same range I pushed you in, you're most likely not going to get it. You'll probably be 20 degrees less than what um, you were, what I was able to do to push you forward. So there is a loss of active you know, mobility. Like you can get there because if I push your leg, you have it, but you know, you need to communicate to your nervous system that, Hey, I want this range of motion, give it to me. And if you constantly ask your nervous system by doing corrective exercise and rebuilding patterns, then you will gain that uh, mobility in time. But the key thing here is the consistency. Are you going to be consistent enough each week to build that, you know, resiliency in your body. Now, the other thing too is, you know, how, actually, even before I get into that, the reason why I use the Turkish getup a lot with all my clients is that there's, you know, seven little movements in there. And it's kind of funny that the FMS is built around seven movements that a child can do. And those movements that a child can do are integral to how our, you know, how our bodies are supposed to function. But over time, with us growing up and sitting at a desk and working 10 hours every day in front of a computer, the, our ability to do what a kid could do goes away. And then when you go to the gym and you're trying to touch your toes and you're like, fuck, I can't do it, what do I do? I would look at exercises that complement the patterns in that FMS assessment. So, you know, there are certain exercises that, you know, say for the hurdle step exercise in the FMS, how do I improve that? Let's look at hip function. Let's look at, you know, hip stability. So chops and lifts will help that pattern. And the Turkish getup, if you look at it really closely, it covers all your bases in the FMS. So I give the Turkish getup to every single client, no matter what, to build that resiliency and movement patterns and movement recognition in order for them to succeed and build those movement patterns they had before as a child. And over time, you know, it will improve and you will see a lot of progression and then you can do a lot of fun stuff for yourself or in your client's situation. Now, say you've done all the stuff that I've said, you've picked a bunch of good corrective exercises, you've seen some improvement, but maybe you've hit a plateau or roadblock and you can't get any further. And this is where it comes to, you know, the structure of the body. You know, say if you look at the hips, for example, that structure will differ person to person. If you look up Dr. Stuart McGill's work, he was able to figure out that there are actually six different types of pelvises among the human race. So depending where your heritage is from will dictate what kind of pelvis you have, and that pelvis will dictate what kind of movement you're allowed to do. So a good example, Asian pelvises are able to squ- uh, squat ass to grass. If you look at, you know, the Olympic weightlifters in China, they have phenomenal squatting patterns. They can get so deep with ease. And then if you look at most American 
um, Olympic weightlifters, they have a little trouble. They're pretty good, but they have a little trouble getting down there. And, you know, if you are of Asian descent, you're going to have an easier time squatting deeply compared to someone who has a, you know, North American hip where they can get stuck around that nine degree mark. Now, you can improve that, but you have limitations of structure. Like, you can't have that ball and socket joint go any further when it's just grinding against bone because you're going to hurt yourself. So that plays a huge role. And how do you figure out what kind of pelvis you have? This is where you go to physical therapists and chiros that have an exercise background where they can do something called hip scouring, where they can actually show you where your, you know, femur and, you know, your hip socket likes to sit if they had to put you into a squat position. Um, And then to go even further into structural um, kind of pathway is how long your spine is and the length of your femurs and the length of your tib and fib and your um and your shin bone like all of those play huge roles so someone like me i'm eastern european out of uh, poland if you look at polish uh people they're not very tall you know average height would be anywhere from like 5'5 five five to 5'10 five and a lot of Polish guys come into like strongman events or Olympic weightlifting because their levers are shorter. And if you, you know, studied biomechanics in school, you know, shorter levers are able to generate more um, power and velocity. So that's why a lot of shorter people go into Olympic weightlifting. Hence, you know, the Chinese are doing really well in Olympic weightlifting because there are shorter people, they have better lever lengths, and they can, they're just natural born squatters and deadlifters. Whereas someone who's a lot taller, like six foot, getting under a barbell to squat or deadlift is going to cause some issues and you're going to have to manipulate stances and positions in order for them to succeed. Now, let's say we go back to my example of your spine some like i have i have a bunch of clients that have long um, torsos so their spine's a little bit longer so when they reach down for that barbell to um, deadlift it all they're going to feel is their lower back or it just won't feel right so with someone like that i will switch them up to a sumo stance where they're a little bit more upright and they are built to be in that pattern remember Deadlifting off the floor is not a rule that you need to be able to do. Unless you are a competitive powerlifter, then I would be worried. Just because your friend or someone on YouTube or someone on your Facebook is deadlifting straight bar in a conventional stance doesn't mean you have to do the same thing. So people with longer torsos, and I don't have any research to back this up, but I see a pattern, is that they usually have some sort of disc issues Um, over time when they've been constantly like driving a square peg into a round hole by force because they want to deadlift um, conventionally because everyone else does and I've seen this happen and with this particular client in mind she has I believe if I can remember correctly five bulging discs from like L5 to L1 and I'm like Jesus, what have you been doing? And after looking at her history before training with me, a lot of like bodybuilding style deadlifting and stiff legged deadlifts and with a long torso like that, I would almost assume that that had a role with it. 
So, you know, maybe you are actually not built to conventional deadlift. You got to find what works for you. And, you know, to layer this even over um, on top, like, what are your previous injuries? That has a huge role. Have you, you know, broken a leg? Have you torn something in your hip? Have you had back surgery? Have you... I don't know, um, broken your foot? Have you broken your ankle? Have you, like, let's even look at, you know, upper extremities. I don't even talk about uh, lower body injuries because that has a huge role in how you deadlift. What if your upper body has limited mobility and your lower body's good to go? We haven't even opened up that can of worms because I've seen a lot of people with horrible T-spine mobility and horrible rounded posture in their shoulders. And if they go any lower past I don't know, uh, knee height in their straight bar deadlift, it just becomes a rounded back. Like there's so much at like stake here when it comes to conventional deadlifting. It's really hard to give someone a black and white answer because I've had people message me online be like, hey, my deadlift sucks. I can't go off the floor. What should I do? And it's like, well, fuck, like <laughs> I need to see you physically either online on doing an assessment or in person and it's there's just so many things at play so i would if i was you either find a coach or physical therapist that is exercise based has you know um, a lot of experience with the fms to give you a solid answer or you apply to my online coaching where i can actually get you filming a full assessment and i can get a better idea how you move and figure out what you should be doing so hopefully that gives you an idea of why and how people should be deadlifting and you know if you have any questions feel free to um you know send them my way because i want to help as many people as possible even if you want to film your deadlift and send it to me for sure i will look at it i will try my best to give you an answer but the best way is to have someone actually looking at you and assessing you in different positions and ways and angles on video and everything like that so i'm going to end it there hopefully you enjoyed this one and again please 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 share this podcast with your friends and family let's grow this thing together and i'm going to continue giving you the best information out there in the fitness industry until next time you guys